0: Good evening. Hope everybody has had a good Father's Day. I hope it's been great. This one's kind of special for me. A lot of you know we're uh, expecting a baby, and so I guess this is my first one. Uh, I just haven't met my kid yet, so I'm looking forward to that time. Hope you've had a good afternoon and enjoyed this time with your family. Growing up, I had this box. Maybe you did something like this when you were a kid. But I had this box that I kind of used to collect things in. And at first, it was mostly basketball cards. And over time, though, it became a collection of items that were important to me. And my collection kind of grew. And maybe you had something like this when you were a kid, but I remember I had this thing all organized exactly like I wanted, and, and everything was exactly in the place that I wanted it to be, and everything was nice and neat. I remember... The first part of the box, the top compartment, had basketball cards, but not just any basketball cards. It was a special section of basketball cards, a special section of my box dedicated to Michael Jordan. I had like a hundred Michael Jordan basketball cards. They were in the top part of the box. You open the box up and inside the box you'd find some other things too. I remember there was this like stone figurine that I got when my family went out west. It was like a Kokairi Figurine that we got in Arizona or New Mexico or something like that. And as I went throughout time, it it just kind of gradually collected more stuff. I remember in there also was a golf ball, and you think, a golf ball? (laughs) Why is that important? It's kind of random. Well, actually, there's kind of a cool story behind it. My dad checked me and my brother out of school, or my brother and me, to be grammatically correct. He checked my brother and me out of school uh, one day, and he took us to play golf. And at the end of that day, he gave Andrew and me a golf ball and he said, every time that you see this ball, I want you to remember this day. And so I kept it and I put it in the box. Now these things don't mean much to you, but you've probably got things at home that are meaningful to you. They wouldn't mean that much to anybody else. A couple of days ago, I made this my Facebook status uh, because I wanted to see what kind of response it would draw. This is pretty cool. I asked, what is something that you possess that means everything to you, but really wouldn't mean much to the average person? Just kind of a random little post I made, and just to throw it out there and see what people said. There were some pretty neat answers. This one was kind of funny. Our own Miss Darlene Taylor wrote, a hammer my dad gave me after I dropped a wrench on his head and then dumped his sockets out and watched them roll down the hill. <laughs> it's memorable. A girl I went to college with named Jennifer Brown replied, My husband and I have a rock. Yes, a small rock that he handed me as we were leaving the church where we got married. He told me that our marriage would be as solid as that rock and would stand against anything. Much like the rock, never changed from the weather to people kicking it and stepping on it. It is on the same shelf with all my wedding pictures and mementos. Our own Richard Kendall replied, Avengers number 150, the first comic book I ever bought. I was six, and my grandpap and I brought it at a newsstand on a Sunday after church. It is beat to pieces, and the cover is ripped, but I have it protected in a case like it's the most expensive comic I own. It's not, but it's the most treasured. My mom chimed in. She said, my silver bracelet daddy gave me. He brought it to me from Jamaica in 1966, and I have never taken it off. And that's true. I've never seen my mom without that bracelet. Lisa Simons from this congregation. Just one thing of many, my husband and I have a leaf from our tree that we have kept and framed. It's our tree in the sense that we met for the first time under this big, beautiful tree. That was 15 years ago. Wendy Baker, another member here, said, I have a valentine my husband gave me when we were boyfriend and girlfriend in the seventh grade. We were married 20 years later. I've kept it in perfect condition since the day he gave it to me. Miss Tina Edwards from Mount Juliet wrote, after my dad passed away, I was given a couple of his sweatshirts. When I really miss him, I just pull one of them out and put it on. Melissa Welch said, cookbooks that belonged to one of my grandmothers and a small cedar jewelry box that my other grandmother gave me for Christmas one year. Melissa Williamson said, so many things. My great-grandmother's quilts My grandmother's baby ring, a photo of Mark on our first date, Ellen's baby teeth, John's first picture that he drew for me, my baby Bible given to me by a favorite preacher and family friend, a collar from a beloved pet, and diaries that I've kept from each year of my life since I was 10 years old. My brother Andrew, he said, I keep two pieces of paper in my Bible, two programs from two different funerals. If I were to lose those programs, I would be devastated. They mean everything to me. They remind me of my past. They remind me of my home in heaven. They are my inspiration. They are my encouragement. They are priceless to me. A friend of mine named Terry Gillum wrote, for our first Christmas, Monica, that's his wife, Monica and I went out and cut a cedar tree for our home. After we got home, we discovered a bird's nest tucked inside it. I don't think the birds were in it. We had some small... Colored glass balls that we put in it that look like eggs. We save the nest and eggs, and we've put them in each tree every year. This will be our 29th Christmas together. And finally, I thought this was a good one to end on. Finally, a distant relative of mine uh, named Julie Jenkins chimed in. and She said, I have a shadow box that contains four things. A cutout of a family circle cartoon my mom sent me about adoption A picture of her bringing me home from the attorney's office as opposed to the hospital. The dress I was wearing in that picture. And a print that Bill Keen made for me changing the name in the original cartoon to my name. Everyone in the family knows that that shadow box is to be grabbed first should the house ever catch fire. And by the way, the cartoon is the family circle kids talking to each other. Looking back at mom, at a mom and a baby in a stroller. They say... We came from mommy's tummy, but Johnny is adopted. He came from mommy's heart. Some things are valuable to us, right? Some things are valuable to us not because of how much they cost. You couldn't put a price tag on that. But some things are important to us, are valuable to us, because of their meaning, right? Because of their meaning. I'm going to stop real quick right here. And if anybody didn't get an outline tonight, uh, if you would raise your hand. We've got some guys tonight. I kind of like to keep these as kind of a guideline for the the lesson where it's going to go. If if we missed anybody out there tonight, just raise your hand. Most people around you probably have one. And then some guys over here I think have got a bunch. If you guys could help me get those out. We've got just a few hands up. But thank you guys for doing that. You all did a good job. So the first blank that I want you to fill in tonight is about these items that are valuable. Not necessarily because of the price tag on them, but because of the meaning behind them. Tonight I want us to spend a few minutes talking about a box. A little bit different than the box that I carried around as a little kid. The first time that we read about this box, it's in the book of Exodus chapter 25. And so, go ahead and turn there, if you will, to Exodus chapter 25. And we'll start in just a moment in verse 10. Exodus chapter 25 starting in verse 10. Just a little heads up, this is God talking to Moses here. Exodus 25, verse 10. The first sentence. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. And real quick, this is just the second time in the Bible that we ever see God use this word. You remember the other time, right? Because God told Noah to build him an arky, arky. Remember that? Build it out of snap, go for barky, barky. Remember that? So this is the second time he's ever used that. So if I'm Moses here, my heart is sinking. Because if I'm Moses, I'm thinking, okay, God, we we did this one time before. Remember the whole rainbow in the cloud? All right? We've done the ark thing already. I thought we agreed on no more arks. But read on. Two cubits and a half shall be its length. A cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. Now, now Moses breathes a sigh of relief, okay? We're not talking about a grand scale ark. We're talking about something a little more manageable because a cubit was about 14 inches measured from the tip of your middle finger to, the, to your elbow. So um, that kind of gives you an idea of what it's going to be like. This ark is only two and a half of these long, okay? He's, he's got to be excited that no elephants are fitting into this ark, right? Verse 11, you shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and outside you shall overlay it, and you shall make on it a molding of gold all around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Verse 14, and you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give to you. And so Moses has this box built. But this just wasn't any old box. Because this box, this container, this ark, just like Noah's ark, represented something. This was the ark of the covenant. And a covenant represents a contract between two parties. In this case, a contract between God and Israel. If Israel would hold up their end of the agreement by keeping the Lord's commandments, then He would be their God and they would be His people. He would protect them and He would provide for them. And so the Ark of the Covenant became kind of like the mascot of sorts for the people of Israel. It represented the Lord in the midst of his people. The very sight of the ark struck fear into the hearts of their enemies. And if we were still under the old law, all we'd have to do is is show Kim Jong il the Ark of the Covenant and he'd hand over all of North Korea's nuclear weapons. That's the kind of fear that it struck in the hearts of their enemies. To the Israelites, the ark was the ultimate symbol of God's faithfulness to them. That's what it meant. And as the nation of Israel journeyed along, the ark became kind of like a walking box of memories. Maybe kind of like that box you carried around as a kid. Like a walking box of memories, almost like a time capsule containing significant snapshots of the events and their nation's history. That's the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember what was inside? Real quick, here's a quick reminder. This is Hebrews chapter 9, verses 3 through 5. Hebrews 9, 3 through 5. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. We're talking about the tabernacle here having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Do you think that maybe when the ark of the covenant was captured, you remember that? Do you think that maybe when the Ark of the Covenant was captured, their enemies might have said, you know, yes, finally it's ours. And they kind of rub their hands together. And, and, you know, the ultimate weapon, let's, let's see how this bad boy works. And so they, they crack it open, they take the top off of it, and, and they go, um, it's, uh, let's see, we got an old moldy jar of bread here. Um, this flowery stick thingy. And a couple of rocks with some writing on them. What is this? Is this some kind of joke? What's this about? Where's the real Ark of the Covenant? Where's the real weapon? And I can just kind of picture them stroking their beard saying, hmm, maybe there's a secret compartment, right? Because it just doesn't make sense for these things to be in this box and this box to be so powerful. You see, this box set wouldn't have have meant much to the passerby who'd never heard of the God of Israel, but to Israel, it meant several things. And very quickly, what I want us to do is share with you why this box was more than just a mere box to them. Why it was so important. Number one, to Israel, the Ark of the Covenant represented God's power. The Ark represented God's power. This is from Joshua chapter 3 and also Joshua chapter 6, and there's a lot of other passages we could note But we'll list these two tonight. In Joshua chapter 3, Moses has just passed away, that great leader of Israel. And now it's up to Joshua to take the lead in leading God's people into the promised land. Talk about big shoes to fill. God knew how important it would be for His people to know and to trust that the Lord was was with their new leader, was with Joshua. And so look how God chooses to reveal His power to Israel. From verse 7, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Verse 10. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from among you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing before you, passing over before you into the Jordan. Verse 12. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the souls of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. And of course, as we know, that's exactly what happened. And it's pretty cool here, as a side note, that they commemorate this event, do you remember how? By selecting 12 stones and putting them in the very middle of the Jordan. And just three chapters later, remember the power of, Behind the Ark of the Covenant, when it was marched around the walls of Jericho, in the midst of God's people, those seven days before the city came crashing to the ground, you see the Ark symbolized the power of God. Another thing it represented to the people of Israel, number two, the Ark represented God's protection. Number two, the Ark represented God's protection. Whenever the Ark of the Covenant went out before the children of Israel, it almost served as a, I don't know a great word for this, but for lack of a better word, the Ark of the Covenant almost served as a gauge. Here's what I'm talking about. Look with me at, at Numbers chapter 10, verses 33 through 36. Numbers 10, 33 through 36. So they set out from the mount of the Lord three days' journey. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. Verse 35. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. And let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. Represented protection. But sadly, over time, the ark became more like a A lucky rabbit's foot because it was carried around like this good luck charm and it became that instead of what it really was, the Ark of the Covenant, literally the covenant's container, the laws and the agreements that God had with his people. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 4, 1 Samuel chapter 4, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the troops came to camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Look at their idea. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Do you see what's happening here? Israel's treating the Ark of the Covenant like a good luck charm. You know, like, oh, we're losing. Oh, I know, it must be because the Ark of the Covenant's not here with us. It's, it's almost like it's become an idol, right? Because it's replaced who God really was here. And they don't even attribute God's divine power to deliver them. They don't even, like, attribute God's power to deliver them to God. They point at the box instead of pointing at the man behind the box. And look what happens. Verse 5. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when all the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What's this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. Remember? Struck fear in the hearts of the enemies. For they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Verse 8, woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Verse 10, so the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And they fled, every man to his own home. And there was a very great slaughter. For there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers, and the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. You see, over time, the Philistines became confused about who the source of their power and who the source of their protection really was. It, It wasn't the ark, it was the Lord. The power wasn't in the box, but the box represented protection to them. Let's talk about what was inside the ark. Number three, the jar of manna inside the ark represented God's providence or the way that God provided for his people. Represented God's providence. To Israel, the jar of manna represented God providing them in that time of the wilderness when they didn't have any food. Why would God have them put manna inside the ark? Is that kind of weird? Is that kind of unusual? Maybe for a couple of reasons. Number one, It reminded them of the food that sustained them in the wilderness. But number two, if you remember, round about Numbers chapter 11, they were growing tired of manna. Remember they started grumbling? They wanted something else to eat. They were sick of it. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 16, two very cool verses. 16 says, God gave them manna to humble them and to test them. God wanted them to remember the manna to keep them humble. Every time they saw the manna, they would remember the time that that was all they had to eat. And God was the one who provided that food. And it would cause them to remember where they came from and how far they'd come. And really, it would keep them honest, right? And check this out. This is the other verse from Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is verse 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It wasn't the manna that sustained them, was it? It was the word of the Lord. Manna represented the way that God provided for them. Number four, the next item inside that box was Aaron's staff. Aaron's staff, and I think I I gave you this one on your outline for free. Aaron's staff represented God's punishment of rebellion. I was a little fuzzy on this story. I had to go back and look at it. But it's true. Aaron's staff was a reminder of a mass killing. Do you remember the story? I had to go back and look it up because it had been a while since I'd thought about it. But 250 men of Israel decided that they didn't like the fact that only the Levites could be the ones involved in the priesthood. They didn't like that. And so they rebelled. And as a result of their sin, God opened up the ground and he swallowed those men right there on the spot. And then God struck the people with a plague that killed 14,700 Israelites. And in number 17, God says, you guys are tired of the Levites being in charge? Okay, here's what we'll do. Let's do a little test. You take one staff from a man of each of the 12 tribes and have each man write his name on his staff. And Aaron, you do this too for the Levites. And God says, the staff of the man that I will choose will sprout. And the next day, Moses goes into the tabernacle and lo and behold... The staff of Aaron has, bud- has budded. And so that staff was placed in the Ark of the Covenant to serve as a reminder for the rebels not to grumble against the Lord. In his words, lest they die. Very quickly, before we move on to the next point, you also might remember the story of Uzzah. You remember him? The man who reached out and he, he touched the Ark of the Covenant. It was on a cart. It was unstable. And he had good motives, pure motives. And he was trying to do the right thing, I guess. But he reaches out and he steadies the Ark of the Covenant and boom, remember what happens? Uzzah is killed on the spot. And even though his motives were pure, he was killed instantly. I guess it's just another story that illustrates to us the importance of remembering the power of God, the importance of doing as he says and keeping his commands. Really, it doesn't matter how pure our motives might be. If we're not doing what God says, we can still be at fault by breaking God's commands. Number five. Next thing inside the box, the tablets. The tablets represented... God's precepts, promises, and principles. Represented as precepts, promises, and principles. You know, to outsiders, a couple of stone tablets with some words engraved in them didn't mean a whole lot. But to Israel, it was their identity. How important was it for them to have this law? The first thing we see God do when he delivers them from Egypt is set up this law. That's how important. It was their life, it was their identity, it was their everything. It was a constitution penned and and authored and autographed by the very hand of God himself. Their nation was built on these principles and on these promises. And the old covenant continued governing Israel until the day that Christ nailed it to the cross. And finally, it wasn't just what was inside the box, it wasn't just what was inside the box that was important to Israel. The sixth thing, there was the mercy seat that represented God's presence. It didn't just represent it, it. It was where God's presence dwelt. In Exodus 25, verse 21, we start reading about this. Follow along with me if you can. It's on the screen, I believe. Exodus 25, verse 21. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony... I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. And then number 7, verse 89. When Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, and it spoke to him. To Israel, the, the ark was, was much, much more than an old memory box, an old time capsule. And when you think about it, there's, there's really a lot, and this is kind of the so what, you know, because we're not the children of Israel, but what does this really mean to us? To Israel, it meant something, but what can we learn from the ark of the covenant when it comes to being people of the new covenant? Here's Hebrews 10, verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. How cool is this? Look at this beautiful parallel that only God himself could come up with. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the law was written on stone tablets tucked away literally inside this this box of memories. But the new covenant is written on our hearts and in our minds. The Ark of the Covenant was a shadow of our hearts and our minds. They are the boxes we carry, filled with memories that we've collected along our journey. Our our hearts and our minds serve as reminders of the things that that we've gone through and the things that we've done, and some of them are good and some of them are bad, but regardless, that's that's who we are. That's our heart and our mind, and today the ark of our heart is the place that God has stored His new law. And remember how God's Spirit dwelt just above the mercy seat, our hearts have become the New Testament ark because His Spirit literally dwells in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 1 21 and 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put His seal on us and has given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That sounds like a covenant to me, right? An agreement. And as we draw to a close this evening, I want to call your attention to 1 Samuel chapter 4 one more time for a couple of last points. Remember the story? The Israelites are there and they go, wait, why aren't we winning? Why aren't we losing this battle? I know it's because we didn't take the Ark of the Covenant with us. And so they go and they they get it, but kind of strangely enough, they still lose. It's important for us to remember that we run into the same kinds of problems when we begin trusting in our Ark In our hearts and in our minds rather than the Lord Almighty. Remember, Israel's enemies eventually captured the ark and they looted it. They took everything inside. And if we're not careful, our enemy, the devil, can steal the ark of our heart away from us if we allow him. And so tonight I ask you is your ark empty? Your heart can be restored. But we must remember that the power to make things new is not anything that we can do in our own power. The power is not in the box, remember. The power is in the Lord. Matthew 15, verse 8 says This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Has your heart been stolen away? Has it become an empty box? Or is the ark of your heart filled with the Spirit of God? If you bring Him your heart, He'll give you a new one. Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We want you to bring God your heart. He wants you to bring Him your heart this evening. And you can leave here feeling better than you've ever felt before. If you'd like to respond to the call of God or if you'd like to ask ask the prayers of this church, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. So please come as together we stand and sing.